As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. Well, this is Financial Choices Matter. I'm Mark Haywood alongside Charles Scott, fiduciary advisor at Peloton Capital Management, serving you in Scottsdale. Find him online at pelotoncapital.com. And that's pelotoncapital.com. Or you can call 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Charles, hello, and welcome back into the podcast. Mark, good day. Glad to be back and fun to talk with you as always. Yes, a pleasure as always, Charles. We have a fun show along the way. Uh, Glad you're listening with us today. Let's kick it off with a bit of news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Well, as always, Charles, we like to scan the headlines, see what's been going on in the world around us. Now, this one ought to be interesting. Certainly a uh, incendiary topic, you might say. You'll see what I did there here in a second. As marijuana has started to be legalized in more and more states, we've started to see the stock prices of some pot producers creeping up. Are you ready to embrace this as a legitimate investment opportunity? Sounds like a uh, mailbag. Yeah, this I, sounds absolutely. like a mailbag question yeah. we might would get. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, yeah, well, uh, if maybe they've smoked pot and they're in the bag, I don't know. Is it a viable investment option? In my opinion, absolutely. I mean, they just passed a, a bill that allows farmers to grow hemp, which is a derivative of marijuana, if I understand the, the farming process of this whole thing. And you said it earlier, Mark, but I think this really boils down to, is this an ethical or moral issue for someone? Or are they just fine? Because there's two different sides of this. There's the investment potential of it, which I think long term is pretty significant. We did this a couple, three years ago when we were, I was looking at and picking some investments for clients. And one of the ones that I wanted to own was a tobacco company. But before I just bought it for everybody, I emailed all the people that I was considering buying it for and said, hey, I really like this from a pure investment perspective, but I'm not going to buy it if you don't believe that this should be in your portfolio because it is truly an ethical issue. I said, just email me back and say, hey, no, thanks. And I won't put it in your portfolio. And I got the response from several people. And so we did buy it for them. I mean, to me, it's that simple. And I think it would be the same thing for marijuana. I've already had a few clients say, hey, I really want to be in this. And I said, okay, it's going to be gigantically volatile probably for a while until it sort of works its way out. And there's some potential more stability than there is right now in it. And they said, that's fine. We're happy to take the risk. So we've done it. But I think that's the issue that needs to be raised. You know, is There is, in my opinion, long-term investment potential in this And it's going to change dramatically between where we are now and where we might be three or four or five years from now as far as opportunities to invest. But at the same time, it really becomes an ethical question that we as an advisor need to ask clients. If you're just morally opposed to this, that's fine. I totally respect that. So we won't do it for you. And, you know, kind of no harm, no foul. But I feel absolutely obligated before we just randomly said, oh, yeah, everybody's going to get to own this stuff because that's not the right way to do it. So, yeah, I like the idea. I have no problem. I have no problems with it, but that's just me. But I totally respect somebody that has a concern and an issue with it. And, you know, you just say, ah, check them, you know, don't put that on their buy it list. That's real simple. 
I love that perspective, Charles. I think that's important, too. I think this is a good example of where your finances are more than a collection of investments and they're more than dollars, cents, and metrics. Of course, that's really important. We should not negate that. Metrics and science when it comes to financial planning is incredibly important and sometimes we can be too emotional. Having said that, you need to factor in what you believe in, right? I mean, after all, your retirement needs vision and purpose. And so as an example, if you don't believe in investing in tobacco companies or marijuana companies, then don't. There are other ways to invest and, you know, grow your portfolio. And so I think that just goes to show the importance of as you plan, have a vision for your retirement, have purpose that you would like to accomplish in retirement. And as you plan to retire, live that out, right? Exactly. I mean, that's what it should be. It's your plan. It's your life. You know, we just want to help facilitate it in the right way. Yes. You want to help folks get where they want to go. And of course, you are certainly able to do that. And that's part of why we had this podcast, right? All about education and helping you get where you want to go in retirement. Well, certainly an interesting headline. Be interested to see how that one plays out in the future. You can bet that if it's good news, it'll make the headlines of our podcast. So tune in in the future and we'll see what happens with that evolving story that we've seen over the last four years. All right, let's take a question from the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. All right, we've got a question that's come to us from Phil in Scottsdale. Phil says, no matter what I do, I can't seem to get my wife engaged in our financial planning process. Is that okay? Or do I need to figure out a way to get her involved? That's a great question, Phil. And I'm going to assume you've tried every way that you can think of to cajole her into potentially doing this. And I think that's the right path to take because we'll ask a simple question of you. And maybe this is something you need to ask of her. What happens to her if you're suddenly hit by the bus and maybe you don't get killed, but maybe you're disabled. I mean, there's all kinds, this opens up this big Pandora's box of potential financial planning issues and concerns and the ability to address them. And what you don't want to be doing is just making unilateral choices in what you think is going to be best for her without getting her input. And I know that's sometimes difficult to do. Some people just kind of want to bury their head. And if I don't think about it, then it's never going to happen kind of thing. You know, if you think you're going to be young forever and you'll never age, uh, you're wrong. But (laughs) it happens to all of us. So I think that it's also important for you to understand how we feel about it. And Our contention is we won't meet with a potential client if they're married without both spouses being there because it won't work. That's been our experience. They both have different points of view. They both have different opinions about things. They both have different wishes and desires. And while they may have talked about them between themselves a bit, and a lot of times, most people do to some degree or another, that we're going to ask enough questions that we're going to draw them out and have them consider things that they've never thought about. And we want them to both hear the same thing the same time from the same person, me or you know other people here with us, and make sure that they both truly end up having the same goals in mind. And so it's imperative. Like I say, we just won't do it without both parties being there. One may take the lead going forward from that, but we never only communicate with one of the spouses. We communicate all the time with all both of the spouses, and we always prefer to have them both there all the time for all the conversations. So, you know, it could be a challenge because my wife and I don't always agree on everything and certainly don't want to always do the same thing at the same time. So I get it from a 
relationship perspective, but I think from a planning perspective, you just need to, you know, ask her the first question I ask you, how prepared is she if something happens to you? That's really what it boils down to. Yes, indeed. We really want to get you on the same page. Thanks for writing in with your questions. And now let's kind of transition, Charles, and talk about some of the distractions that are throwing you off your financial game. There are a lot of distractions out there, a lot of shiny objects that your advisor, brokers, companies, commercials will throw at you. Don't get caught up in them. Don't be distracted by them. And let's just go through some of the distractions. So a couple we want to hit on today testimonials and references. Those seem like they'd be useful, right? Because, you know, you want to have someone who's recommended to you. But, Charles, you might have something different to say about that. Well, two questions there. References and testimonials. And I'll take the references first. References, I mean, if you stop and think about it, why would I give you any reference if you ask me for a reference? Why would I give you anyone that wasn't thrilled to death with us, that wasn't a raving fan of ours? It makes no sense. You know, but from a more practical point of view, we have given references in the past. And what we found, I'll be perfectly blunt about it. We basically don't do that anymore because it happened more than once. And as soon as it happened three or four times, we said, okay, we've got to not do this anymore because the reference that came from us when someone that was not a client called an existing client, there was this sense of familiarity from the prospect. And they started asking the clients questions that the client felt completely inappropriate and way too personal about their specific situations and how we were helping them. And they let us know, which I was really, we were really happy that they had let us know because the prospect wanted to find out more than the client should have ever been asked to divulge. And so we just thought, okay, now that just doesn't make any sense anymore. So when you combine that experience that we had with people honestly and truly asking questions that they probably should never have asked with the fact that from a, just a logical point of view, why do I ever send you to somebody that wasn't thrilled to death? We just don't do the references anymore. On the testimonial front, that's a totally different story. We, as a registered investment advisor, we cannot use testimonials. It's against the law. And while your insurance guy or somebody else, you know, lots of other folks out there in the, in the professions, all kinds of other professions have testimonials all over their websites and they send testimonial out of, on things all the time. I can't. It's totally illegal for us. So that's an easy answer. I'll be put out of business if I start using testimonials. So the references one, there's some nuances to that. The testimonial thing is just black and white, but they seem to most people to be kind of the same thing and they're not at all. All right, Charles, another thing that may seem helpful on the kind of as you first look at it, but then you might also find it to be quite distracting, professional designations. Yeah, I've seen just alphabet soup of designations after some people's names. And, you know, some of them require lots and lots of study and work and continuing education and all that stuff. Others, honestly and truly, you can take a real simple, you know, go online, take a two hour course and you get a designation and then you never hear from them again. And it doesn't make any difference, but you've got some initials after your name. Some of them matter. And sometimes it's very difficult to, for the public to discern which one makes a difference and which one doesn't. The only designation I have, well, I have two, I use one. The only designation I use is the accredited investment fiduciary designation. And that's just something that requires continuing education every year. You know, it took some coursework to get that designation in the first place. And all that did was just, to me, validate what we already did in our practice and had done for years and years and years before I even knew there was a designation of this sort, the AIF. And that was, we always acted as a fiduciary. We put our client's interest above ours, first, foremost, all the time, every time, every way, every day. 
I thought, okay, well, I'll go with that. Lots of these other designations really don't make any difference whatsoever. You did, you might have done a coursework and you get a designation for doing it and you paid somebody for the course and the designation. The other, and I've mentioned this upcoming topic before, and that is the certified financial planner designation. Now the CFP mark, those folks have done a great job of marketing them as the standard of excellence in the financial planning industry. And for most of the people that have that designation, the vast majority of the time, that's a good explanation of it. But it's not exactly always what you think it is because you can have the CFP designation. And if you're, the way the rules work right now, if you're doing financial planning for somebody, you have to put their best interest first from a fiduciary perspective. But if you're doing investing for a client, you don't have to put their best interest first. You're not a fiduciary. You don't have to be. You can be, but you don't have to be. And this is not for every CFP out there, but this is for a lot of them. And it's this real ambiguous, am I a CFP? Am I acting as a fiduciary or am I not? And I've just always had an ethical issue with the way they've promoted the, the designation. And so I never bothered to get it because it didn't make sense to me. The fiduciary, the AIF, accredited investment fiduciary matters to me. That's why we have it. I've always had it you know, ever since I knew that it existed. And so that's really the one that I care about. That's the one that I think makes the biggest difference for the clients. And we spend a bunch of time trying to explain to clients the difference between being a fiduciary and not being a fiduciary and how it impacts them. So there's all kinds of stuff out here in the financial world to, I won't say try to confuse people, but there's just enough variation of all of these things that people do get confused. And there should be a more standardized approach to this whole thing. There just isn't. So, I mean, you could call yourself almost anything you want to call yourself, and it has absolutely no bearing on what you actually do for your clients. I'm not saying, therefore, everybody's bad. I'm just saying it does get confusing to the public. So that's the designation issue. And if you see, I mean, I saw somebody, I think, that had 12 or 13 different designations after their name. And I thought, you have to spend all your time taking, you know, how much money do you spend to get all those things? And how many of them really make a difference? So it's interesting. It's just alphabet soup, in my opinion. So what does it look like then, Charles, to give it to somebody straight? You know, as they come in, they sit down with you. I know that you offer complimentary reviews to folks. What does that look like just to kind of cut through some of that fluff, cut through some of the distractions and shiny objects and just kind of have a real conversation with someone? Well, it's, I'm going to assume they're going to assume that we're reasonably competent. If they come in, they see the office, they meet us, they've looked at our website, they've sort of done some preliminary due diligence, and they're either going to look us in the eye and they're going to figure out we kind of do know what we're doing, or they're going to say, I don't know if this guy's worthy of my time or not. And I think it does truly become, you know, just a very, it's a very personal conversation that people have to have uh, because we're dealing with stuff that's very personal to them. And we know that we don't fit everybody that's out there. Not everybody would work with us. I mean, I've always said, you and I could tell the same person the same story using exactly the same words, and they're going to like you better than me or me better than you, and there's nothing we can do about it. So we don't worry about it. We just tell them who we are, what we do, and why we do it the way we do it, and they either get it and they want to work with us or they don't. Well, if you'd like to sit down and have a conversation with Charles Scott and his team, like you said, a straightforward conversation, no fluff, just kind of a getting to know you meeting and figuring out what his process looks like. You can reach out to Charles and his team. Just dial 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Come in for a visit with Charles Scott and the team at Peloton Capital Management. Charles, as always, thanks for being on the podcast. Mark, it's fun. It's always fun. If it's never fun, then we're not going to do it anymore, by golly. But <laughs> hasn't been the case. <laughs>
That hasn't been the case yet. The day it stops being fun, please, someone tell us and we'll quit this podcast. But until <laughs> then, we enjoy it. We love being able to educate you and just have a conversation about all things related to your retirement, all things financial. And remember, your financial choices matter. Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.